0: it on. Can you hear me? Good morning. It is good to see you guys. Thank you. I appreciate that. Are you guys awake this morning? Good, good, good. If you don't know who I am, my name is Vance. My wife and I are the young adult pastors at our Norcross campus, and we also help to, thank you. I appreciate that. We also help to oversee young adults uh, at all of our campuses, and we are very excited that Midtown, is getting young adults started very, very soon, and we actually have our first young adults event coming up on June 7th, and so if you are between the ages of 18 and 30, we will have a young adults worship night on June 7th that you are invited to. You guys excited about that? Good, good, good. Well, uh, as I mentioned, my wife, I wanted to show a picture just in case you guys have not seen her because she wasn't able to be here today, but her name is Gabrielle, and we have uh, an 11-month-old named Noah. That's the two of them. That was about two weeks ago when we were dropping him off at school for the first time. That was a new experience. I don't know. Any parents in the house? Man, that, that first daycare... School experience is, it's unique, it's different. And so we were all in our feels, all in our emotions. How's he gonna like it? But, you know, we just had to trust God and God always comes through, amen? All right, well, also I just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge your pastors. Pastors Mo and Kendra. I was expecting y'all, to. as soon as I said your pastors, I was just expecting an uproar, I'm not gonna lie. (laughs) That's what I was expecting from you guys. Because you guys really do have amazing pastors. They are good friends of myself and Gabrielle. Uh, We would consider them mentors as well. And as I just look around here, I am just so blessed to see where you guys are. Because the last time I spoke here was in 2020. And you guys were still in the, the gathering spot. Who was here for that? A few of you guys. And then a lot of you guys may be new. But God has been taking this campus on a journey. God has a long-term vision for his church, for each and every one of our lives, and sometimes it's necessary for us to just look back on everything that God has done, because you guys were not always in this building. There were years that we were looking and praying, and your pastors were going to building after building after building after building, conversation after conversation, persevering You had a team that was setting up a stage, screens, everything, and tearing it down every single Sunday to get to where we are now, where you could just walk in and and everything is set up. Anybody grateful to God for what he's done in this campus? That's a huge deal. And I'm just grateful for the faithfulness of our God. And I know that he is always taking his church to new levels not just his church in terms of campuses, but his church worldwide. Jesus said that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Is anybody grateful for that? Is anybody excited that Jesus is still building a church that the gates of hell will not prevail against because hell is waging war against the world. Hell is waging war against our souls, but Jesus tells us that his church is the institution that he is going to build that the gates of hell will never be able to prevail against. Some of y'all are awake in here. I just know I'm grateful for that because I know I go through stuff in life. I don't know if you go through anything in life. I don't know if you've ever been under attack. I don't know if you've ever seen the enemy come at yourself, your family, your home, your finances, your job. I don't know if you've ever been uh, mistreated, done wrong lied on. I don't know if you've ever been through anything like that, but all of those things come from the evil one. And I'm grateful that I am not my only defender, that Jesus has promised that as I am a part of his family, as I am a child of God, as I am a part of his church, that he's actually brought me into something that is indestructible. The body of Jesus Christ, the Lord of all creation, Lord over all of heaven and all of earth is the head of his body, which is the church. Ephesians tells us that he is seated at the right hand of the Father and everything is under his feet, above every ruler and authority, every power, every name that can be named is underneath the name of Jesus. And everything is subject to him. And then Ephesians also tells us that we are seated in him. And so the the position that you are in as a Christian, is you are seated in Christ at the right hand of the Father, far above every ruler, authority, power, dominion, above every attack of the enemy against you, above every name that could be named. Are you living that way? Are you living that way? Are you thinking that way on a daily basis? Are you praying that way? Are you seeing life through that lens? Because if you are not seeing life through that lens, then none of Jesus' commands are going to make sense to you. And he's going to say stuff that rubs you the wrong way and seems unreasonable and seems undoable like what we're talking about today. And and before we even dive into the first scripture, I, I just want to quote something that was coming to my mind even while we were in worship I just felt the spirit of the Lord so heavily in this place. And I was reminded in the letter of Revelation where where Jesus is talking to the the apostle John and and he sees this vision and Jesus starts explaining the, the vision to him. He says this, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now here's what he says after this. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write this, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. He said that the seven lampstands represent the churches. Seven is a number of completion. We could see this as representing the, the church at large, the complete church. And Jesus is saying, I'm the one who walks among the churches. Sometimes we think that Jesus is just in heaven, thinking about church, maybe looking from a distance, But do you know that Jesus is walking among us, that as we're in here worshiping, as we're lifting our hands or some of us got our hands in our pockets because we don't think he's worth it. He's still walking among us, that we have a God who is with us, a God who is near, Emmanuel, God with us. Are you living like God's walking next to you? Are you living like God is walking among you? He walks among his church. And the church is not just about the buildings. He doesn't stop walking by you when you leave the building. He's not just walking around this building and then when you leave, he's not paying attention anymore. You are the church. We are the church. He's walking among your small group, he's walking among your conversations. He's walking among you when you pray. He is God with you. He is God nearby. He is close to you. The spirit of God dwells in the believer, dwells in the believer. He tells us that we are his temple. Like just like God, his presence dwelt in a physical temple, he's saying that you as a believer in Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit and he dwells in you. But, but here's what's interesting about what happens after he says this. I walk among you. He says, I know your works. I know your works. I know what you're doing. <laughs> like, I know what you have going on. I'm, I'm close by. I'm with you. I'm walking among everything that's taking place, and I know what is going on. And do you know that that Jesus has thoughts about what's going on in his church? Jesus has thoughts about not just what you believe, but what you do. And sometimes we can we can distance ourselves from that. Because praise God for his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. But do you know that Jesus forgives you for stuff that he knows you are doing? Like he knows everything that's going on. And yes, there's mercy, there's grace, but he knows and he has thoughts and he has expectations for you and for me. And so what we're going to dive into this morning, uh, I'm excited about not because I've mastered it, not because I'm an expert, uh, but because I need to grow in this as well. And I believe that if we as Jesus's church will grow in this, it's going to make a huge difference, not only in our lives, but in, every, in the lives of people around us. It's gonna change the environments that we walk into. It has to, because we'll start actually being a, a light. Like Jesus said to, that we are a light. Do you know how much light contrasts with darkness? Light is unmistakable. If you walk in a dark room and there is a light on, you are going to see that light. It contrasts with everything. Salt. He says you're the salt of the earth. When somebody, if I pour a cup full of salt into a meal that you have, you're going to taste that salt, right? And you're going to know that it's salt, right? (laughs) Because it's so distinct. And I'm here to remind us today that, that Jesus is not just calling us to believe in him, but as a result, as fruit of our belief in him, there should be a distinctness about us. We should behave, we should think, we should speak in a way that is distinguishable from people who do not follow Jesus. We were singing up here, there is no one like you because he is holy, he is distinct, he is unique, and he's calling us to be like him. Not just to believe in him, that's where it starts, but then we're called to be like him. So I just wanna pray for us before we move forward. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Lord Jesus, you prayed that, the Father would sanctify us through the word, that the word is truth and it cleanses us. Jesus, you said that you wash us like water through the word. So Lord, I invite you to wash us today, God. Cleanse us today, Lord. Make us more like you. Lord, teach us the way. You are the way. And Father, I just pray that you would speak to our unique situations, our unique circumstances. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that you see us, Lord, and you're not just spreading out a general message, God, but you, you are speaking directly to us as individuals and as, and as a collective. And so, Lord, I pray that you would have your way, that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So I want to read the passage of scripture that we're diving into today. If you haven't been with us, uh, then you might not know that we've been in uh, the same section of scripture all year, and we're going to be for most of the year. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, and it's in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh, And it's one of the most revolutionary teachings that you're ever going to read where Jesus just totally flips culture on its head and gives us a different perspective because he is unique and because there is no one like him. And he's telling us how God actually thinks and what God actually expects. And here we are today, Uh, In verses 38 through 47, and I'm going to start with verses 38 through 42. He says this, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Some of you guys are ready to walk out (laughs) right now. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. How does that sit with you? Does that that feel comfortable? Does that feel nice? Feel like you got that down? Can anybody look at that and be like, you know what? If there's anything I'm good at in life, it's that. (laughs) It's when I get slapped, I just, here's the other cheek. (laughs) Anybody feel like they've mastered that? Nobody. Good, so I'm in the right place (laughs) where we can learn what Jesus is calling us to here. Because what you read, I mean, what you see is what you get. But there's also more to what he's saying. There's a heart behind what he's saying. It's not so much about the unique actions, the, the things that he's describing here, the situations that he's describing here were very relevant to their culture. He wasn't just saying stuff for no reason. They were relevant to their culture because God speaks to us where we are. And so Jesus is speaking to them in a way that they will understand and he's communicating the heart posture that he wants us to have as followers of him. And so what he's really communicating here is how we're supposed to show up in our interactions. How we show up when we get wronged. How we respond when we get wronged. And how we show up just in our interactions with the world. And and I think that it's, it's interesting that he says Do not resist an evil person is kind of how he kicks it off in contrast to an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So what he's communicating here is he starts with the law. And the law of Moses, God says an eye for an eye. So if you gouge somebody's eye out, the judgment for that is restricted to the gouging out of your eye. Here's why he said that, he was controlling excess. So some of us, we look at that and we see harshness, but what he's actually saying is, I'm implementing fairness. So you can't just go on a vigilante mission and be Batman when something wrong happens to you. And so if somebody slaps you, you can't kill them if somebody does something wrong to you, you can't just do whatever you want in response. There has to be some equal scales here. And so he's implementing as a society that they would have fairness. And then Jesus shows up and says, yes, you've heard this. And he's not undoing it, but he's expounding on it. The, the actual heart posture. that uh, What if we could live beyond just the rules? Like, what if we didn't just always need a line not to cross, but could actually move toward the heart and the character of God? And that's what Jesus is ultimately doing here. He said, I mean, you've heard this, and yes, it's true. But I'm telling you that there's actually a higher way of going about things. That anybody wants fairness, But there's a different way of viewing life that I'm about to present to you that seems radical, but it's the way of God. Now, this hits me uh, in in a special way because I've been through some things that I felt like were not fair. Has anybody been through things that they felt like were not fair? So what he's talking about here is when you've been wronged, like, An eye for an eye means somebody's missing an eye. That's not a fun thing. You're going to want some type of justice for that. You're going to want things to get even. Somebody's missing a tooth in a tooth for a tooth. And this is before they were doing veneers. This is before they could just go to the dentist. Somebody's missing a tooth. Somebody's got to pay for that. And Jesus is saying that there's actually a different way. So for me, I think about different experiences that I've had in life. Uh, One of them was just two years ago, where it started, um, somebody was adamantly stealing my identity. When I say adamantly, I mean adamantly. It wasn't like, oh, I got a weird charge on one of my cards. It was like, They tried to hack my entire life. My entire life. It started with them rerouting my mail, which I didn't even know was a thing. (laughs) Nor did I know somebody could do it so easily. They just went up to the post office and was like, hey, the mail that's going to this address, send it to this one. And that's all they needed to do. That's a side note for you guys. Make make an account with the post office if you don't currently have one. And make sure that you are up to date on where your mail is going. Because holiday season came around and we were traveling and going to see family, and I didn't realize that I wasn't getting mail in. And it started there. They rerouted my mail. That means they were getting all my stuff W 2s, all. Then they hacked my email. Don't know how they hacked my email. My email is not as easily hackable now. I had to learn a lot of things, but they hacked my email. Then they hacked my bank account. Multiple. (laughs) Credit cards. They started applying for stuff because they had my social security number, which I assume they got from my W-2 in the mail. They started applying for stuff. So, So for the next year, I'm constantly dealing with this. Like I'd be in the middle of church and be getting a call from Bank of America about the account that I'm trying to open. Like it was nonstop for months. It was trying to set up, trying to buy um, all types of stuff, timeshares, like just random stuff. Like why are you trying to get a timeshare (laughs) in my name? Like this is not even normal hacking. This is like, this person has a vendetta against me And I'm trying everything I can. I got LifeLock. I'm trying everything I can to undo this, going to the police, everything. And it's just, they're just running it up, using my credit card points. (laughs) I mean, everything. Like when I was like, oh, okay. I blocked them from this charge. And then where did all my points go? Ratchet hotels. (laughs) Like this is my real life. This was really happening. Ratchet Hotels was where my points went. And this, they were doing this adamantly. Like, I get a call from my, my phone provider that I'm trying to open a new line. They're trying to verify. They actually called my wife to verify the dude was on the phone. I promise you, just the boldest person, because they were like, hey, we're going to call your wife to verify. He's like, go ahead. He calls. And it's like, hey, they're trying to open. And my wife is like, who is this? Do not, like, this was real life while we're in the middle of a work day. So this was frustrating for me. So I I don't know if you can imagine, but I felt like there needed to be some kind of vengeance. Like, this person needs to go to jail for life. (laughs) Put them in maximum security (laughs) so that they are never able to do this again. And you know what happened? Uh, I got with the detective of our local police department, who started escalating it, and we we think you know we had thought we found the person and all that, and then nothing, like they didn't even call me back, like and then they were like, yeah, we just have a lot of cases that are a little bit more important, and justice was just hanging in the balance, and I'm like, this person is just getting away with what they did. And that's where the situation landed. So then, backtrack to uh, about seven months ago, I was on a meeting uh, in, in our apartment complex. We have this little like meeting area. I, had, I was in a rush, I jumped on a Zoom call and I had uh, one of my bags with me. And then as soon as I got off the call, I knew that my, at that time, our son was like five months old or something. And he was turning up. My wife had texted me like, yo, he just won't go down to sleep. I'm exhausted, all that stuff. Uh, and so I'm like, all right, man, let me go help. And I left my bag. I know, right? I messed up my bag. It had my wallet in it. And uh, a few hours later, I realized that I didn't have my bag. And so, I went back to look for it. Uh, No, a few hours later, I got a notification. That's what it was. I got a notification uh, from a local vape shop about a purchase that I knew was not myself or my wife. And so, I immediately tried to start reconciling it. Long story short, it was some young adults who stole my stuff and started trying to swipe my cards everywhere but they got caught on camera, like dead face on camera. And, and they got caught. And I remember like before they got caught, I was personally like, God, now you know what happened last time. <laughs> let vengeance <laughs> take place now. Don't let them get away with this, God. People can't just be stealing people's stuff trying to buy stuff. is so disrespectful. If any of you guys are in here, and you are tempted to scam or steal, and you tell yourself that it's justified in some way, or that person's going to get the money back from the bank, it's stressful, and God is watching you. (laughs) Don't do it. So I remember praying like, God, I know you see who this is, and I know that you're a God of justice, and you're not just going to let this slide. And so they got caught. And can I tell you how I, feel when, how I felt when they got caught? I didn't feel any better. I felt bad for them because I was then told that they had a felony for every single time they swiped that card. And they swiped A lot of transactions, a lot of little transactions. Like it really was not worth it. Like they were doing $10 here, $20 here, $10 here. Like it was, it was young, dumb stuff. And can I tell you that justice was served, but it didn't make me feel any better. And I felt a particular conflict as a young adult pastor. Because I pastor 18 to 30-year-olds. And these were young people who were being dumb. And I had a conflict in my heart as to whether I really wanted justice to happen to them, for them to go through life with a felony on their record or however many felonies on their record for a dumb decision that they made. And so I can see a little bit different what Jesus is saying here uh, about justice. And, And he's essentially, he's telling us to not lead with just fairness in mind, To not lead our relationships with tit-for-tat and fairness in mind, but he's actually inviting us to lead with love. It's not that you abandon justice, it's not that you abandon fairness, but that you start with love. And he starts explaining how you lead with love, and we're going to talk about a few of those things. And the first thing that he is essentially saying is that love does not retaliate. Love does not retaliate. How do you do with that? How do you do with retaliation? Because I know if you're a human being, then when something happens to you that you feel like was wrong, something rises up in you that says, oh, I'm going to repay this. So, how do you do with that? How do you handle that? And how is that working out for you? How does retaliation work out for you? I think about him saying, if somebody slaps you, like that's one of the most disrespectful things that I could imagine is just getting slapped. And and the way that he describes it is he says, if somebody slaps you on the right cheek, and as we were studying this, I I came across that this was actually a common thing in their culture, like in Jewish culture, getting slapped backhanded as an insult that was like a common insult can you imagine just like instead of just rude words to insult you somebody backhands you not fronthand. because I just feel like there's a different posture that you take when you backhand somebody that you don't take it feels a little more premeditated you know what I mean because with the front slap, you just go from here to here. But for the backhand, you go from here to here. You kind of get it ready and armed and loaded. And then you use your hips. <laughs> and I don't know which one hurts more. I just know which one hurts, like, emotionally more. <laughs> because it's just disrespectful. And Jesus, do you see what he's saying here? How unreasonable this feels? If somebody backhands you, just and, uh, on the right cheek, and he says specifically, because if somebody who's traditionally right-handed backhands you, it's gonna hit your right cheek. <laughs> so he doesn't just say one cheek, he says if somebody slaps you on the right cheek. Y'all know what I'm talking about when people be backhanding you, is what he's saying. Turn to them the other cheek. If, before we talked about this, If you were walking through the parking lot, even at church, and somebody maybe was upset with you about how you swerved into your parking spot in front of them, and they backhanded you, what would you do? What would you do? I mean, I have to ask myself this question, because... Turn the other cheek is not what like naturally comes to mind. You know what I mean? Like that thought would not even come into my mind to give them my other cheek. It would, and and to be honest, I would probably bypass this eye for an eye because if somebody backhands me, I'm not going to backhand them. I, I, it's not going to be open hand. I'm going to close the fist. You know what I mean? And I'm going to put some of my practice into the game. I've done some boxing training, some kickboxing training. If you guys don't know Pastor Mo, uh, he can can throw down a little bit. I don't know if you guys know that he does Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Muay Thai, had a Muay Thai fight. He won. I mean... Pastor Mo, what would you do? (laughs) Somebody backhands you. Jesus is saying to exercise maximum restraint. That seems crazy. But I want to ask you, what does it take for you to get out of character? Because I think when we dig a few levels down, We're not talking about slaps here. We're not even really talking about violence here. What Jesus is talking about is what it takes to get you out of character. For you, it might just take the wrong look. Like somebody just looks at you the wrong way. Somebody might say hi to you, and they say hi in a way you don't like. Like why you say it like that. You guys know what I'm talking about. There are certain things that just bother you that you won't let slide. That people will do to you. In marriage, the married people know. Your spouse, yeah. Your spouse doesn't need to backhand you. They just push a little button. And Jesus is saying... Man, what if, what if you could live in a way that when people try to push your buttons, you're not emotionally reactive? What if you could live life in a way where evil did not automatically draw you into offense? That's a high way of living, is it not? And I think if we're going to embrace this, I think there's a, there's a small chunk, a very small phrase in here. And it really determines how we embrace what's being said. Jesus says, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And then he says these four words, but I tell you. How do those words impact your life? How does Jesus saying something really impact your actions? And here's why I'm asking. Because many of us see Jesus' words as suggestions. So he can say, you've heard an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, and you're like, in your mind, he's like, but I'm going to suggest to you. And then you will live Like Jesus made a suggestion. So when you get offended, when you get insulted, when you get wronged, you take Jesus's suggestion into consideration. I know what Jesus would say is turn the other cheek. But I tell me to get back. To get even. And I want to present to you today that, that when Jesus says, "But I tell you, it's not a suggestion. If we follow Jesus, Jesus is not just our advisor, He's our Lord. He is master. So but I tell you precedes a command to obey, not a suggestion to consider as heavy because it does you, you, can i go a little deeper yeah. because it doesn't matter how you feel about it right. which can feel very offensive like the command itself does not take into consideration how you feel about what he's saying he's saying to do it whether you fully understand or not Whether it feels good to you or not, he's saying to do it. And then he says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Do not resist an evil person. Where on earth do you hear something like that? Do not resist an evil person. Like, everything in our minds would say evil needs to be resisted. Evil needs to be taken care of. Evil demands justice. Do not resist an evil person. And what what he's saying there is not just that none of us ever stand up for good. He's not saying that evil is to just be allowed to do whatever it wants to do. What he's addressing is not political, but it's personal. So some of us, we, we see this through the lens of politics, we see this through the lens. Even when I say the word justice, it, it carries a political connotation to it. But And I'm not saying that it doesn't. What I'm saying is what we're talking about and what Jesus is talking about today is not political. It's personal. It, it's about vigilante, self-appointed, justice, vengeance, revenge. It's about taking things into your hands. And ultimately, when he says the word resist, that Greek word there is really talking about like standing up and debating against. It's actually like a legal term that's talking about stating your case. So he uses these examples. He says, if somebody backhands you, instead of fighting for yourself, stating your case, getting back against the insult, turn them the other cheek. And then he says, If somebody forces you to go with them one mile, go with them two. This was actually a legal thing because in that day, Roman soldiers, they were under the control of the Roman government. And the Roman soldiers could force you at any time, no matter what you had going on, no matter how you felt about it, they could force you to carry their gear for up to one mile. It was law. So you could be at the park with your kids and... A Roman cop could come up to you and be like, look, carry this. And you got to walk a mile with them. No matter how inconvenient it is, no matter what you had going on, no matter whether you were at a birthday party, it might have been your birthday. They don't care. And they could force you to go one mile. And, and Jesus, instead of saying what they wanted to hear, he tells them something that they never would have even considered. What they wanted to hear was, oh, if somebody tries to force you to go one mile, you take authority over them because you represent me and I came to bring a revolution and we're going to turn this Roman government on its head. That's what they wanted to hear because they were under the oppression of the Roman government. And this is, this is a huge frustration that many of Jesus' followers had with him is they were expecting a Messiah to come and change their current circumstances, which was the oppression of the Roman government. So when, when we see Palm Sunday, when it's Hosanna, Hosanna, we're throwing down palms, and Hosanna to the Son of David, and Jesus is coming in on the donkey, and they're praising him, they're not just glorifying God. What they are doing is they are praising him because of what they expect from him. They expect that this is the guy who's coming to change everything and to save us from Rome and all of this oppression. These people who can just make us walk a whole mile with gear, Jesus is about to change it. And Jesus makes a lot of people very upset because he does not meet their expectations, because his perspective is an eternal one. His perspective is a long-term one. His perspective is not about just their short-term situation, but it's about what he's doing for all of humanity. And if Jesus would have focused his time and attention on overthrowing the Roman government, then he never would have helped you. Because what good does that do to you and me in 2023? Oh, thanks, you overthrew Rome. That was gonna happen a few hundred years later anyway. Like, Rome is not running things now. That's not my issue. And we can be mad that God is not as upset about our issues as we are. And here's the deal. God cares about your issues. God cares deeply about what you have going on. God empathizes with what you have going on. Jesus put on human flesh and walked through what you have going on. If you don't believe me, we can look at 1 Peter 2, verses 20 through 23. Peter says this. He says, how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threat. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. That's heavy. Jesus left us an example. And the example was not the example of a revolutionary. The example was actually him not retaliating. But here's how he did it. Because inevitably, that's the question in our minds. I, I, I get it, but how, how do I actually do that? Like, how do I actually get my heart to a place where I'm okay with that? Because we may hear it, that doesn't mean we're okay with it. Like, not getting even, not like things not being fair, things not being taken care of. How am I going to be okay with that? Well, Jesus... Really shows us in the example that he's followed, that he's left for us. And it's not that we don't care about things getting taken care of. And it's not that things won't get taken care of. It's about the fact that he didn't take things into his own hands to take care of them. He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. That God is so good that we can actually trust that he is going to take care of things in the best way that they can be taken care of because he judges with fairness and he judges justly. Who do you entrust yourself to? Like on a daily basis, when you run into conflict, when you run into difficult situations, who do you entrust yourself to? Not who do you believe in. Because you might believe in Jesus and not entrust yourself to him. You might serve in the church and not entrust yourself when things get difficult, when things get challenging, when you're not getting what you want. Who do you entrust yourself to? Because that's actually what God is inviting us into. This is not just a rebuke against us, saying, hey, stop being tough you know, stop taking care of stuff on your own, be a doormat for the rest of your life. That's how we'll read this if we don't read it correctly. That's actually not what Jesus is saying. He's talking about living at a higher level that I'm actually covered by the one who's not going to let anything slide. And I don't know how he's going to take care of it. I don't know what he's going to do, but I know he's going to do something. And, and the truth is, even for me, Like I said, I I, I mean, justice for the people who were stealing from me really didn't make me feel any better. And, And I don't know what God ultimately needs to do in their lives because even my goal for them is not just for their lives to be destroyed forever. My prayer would be that God changes them like he changed me. Because I was young and dumb. I was making dumb decisions. And God had grace and mercy for me. And so this is why Jesus would invite us to pray, Lord, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. That's an entrusting of ourselves, that I'm going to forgive other people because I want to be forgiven, and ultimately I want to actually leave everything in your hands. And so what would the world look like if the church actually embraced this? That there was a peculiarity about us where it's like we could not be moved to get out of our character. That you could be lied on, cheated, cussed out, cut off in traffic, you name it. Insulted, your buttons pushed, and you not respond, not, that you not react. Repaying evil for evil, but that you would respond. And actually repay evil with kindness. Now that would be a unique group of people. That would be a group of people that maybe looks like the heart of God, not people who are just yelling at people about God and yelling at evil about good. What if we took a different posture in our posts on social media? What if we didn't feel the need to be the judge and the jury for everybody on social media? And what if we didn't react immediately to everything, trying to undo evil? And what if we did what Jesus is saying, which is our second point, repaying evil with kindness? Because he goes on and expounds on this even more. In verse 43 through 47, he says this. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. What? And pray. What he's saying, I think, could be summed up in this quote that I uh, found in a commentary by Craig Blomberg. It says, almost all people look after their own. The true test of genuine Christianity is how believers treat those whom they are naturally inclined to hate or who mistreat or persecute them. Anybody tested their Christianity against that lately? Not how much you read your Bible Not how fiercely you pray, but how do you treat your enemies? How easy is it for somebody to become your enemy? That's a question. How many enemies do you have? Why are people your enemies? How easy is it to be your friend? God actually cares about those things. So, when Jesus is walking among the churches, he's actually looking at those things. He's looking at the hatred we have in our heart towards people. He's looking at our hard heartedness and our stony hearts and wondering how we could be so hard hearted towards people who have wronged us while we've wronged him so much. B- because some of us, we will hear this and reject it. Do you know that's wrong? That's you saying, God, your way is not good. I'm going to do things my way. Do we expect a favorable response from God for that? We kind of do because we know how merciful he is. And we actually know that God will work on us in these things. And he will go through the process of sanctification with us, the process of cleansing us and making us better. And yet we won't go through a process with anybody else. We'd rather just cut people off. We'd rather think short-term and not long-term. We'd rather care more about how we feel about what was done than actually that person's well-being. Do you know that each and every one of us has an eternity ahead of us? And that for some reason in our minds, even as Christians, we condemn people to hell in our minds. Think about it. Like people who have really done wrong, is there not something inside of you that's like, yeah, they kind of deserve. I don't think they're going to be in heaven. (laughs) And they kind of deserve it. Is there not something in you that becomes judge of people? That if it was left in your hands, there would be like three people in heaven? And they're all in your phone? But we serve a God who causes his sun to rise on the just and the unjust. That means when people are doing the most heinous things, God still lets rain fall on the land. God still lets the sun beam so that they don't freeze to death. God has this mercy that we don't even notice or consider because we're so used to the sun coming up. We don't even think about the fact that we woke up today and we have breath in our lungs to cuss somebody out. (laughs) From God. And that's how we're using what he's given us. We're using the minds that he's given us to judge him and say, your way isn't good. And that's not fair. And yet God still has the mercy on us to have the word spoken to us, to rearrange our thought process, that he has patience with us. He could have just cut you off. Like as soon as you think something wrong about God, he could just end it right there. You're done. This is my earth. But he's so merciful that he doesn't. And then he's inviting us to not do what he doesn't do, but to be like him. And so this is how we're shown to be legitimate children of God. We're shown to be legitimate children of God by how we treat people, especially those who mistreat us. Not just by how much we give or serve how much we believe, how much we pray, not just by the things we're comfortable doing. We're shown to be children of God by how we treat people. We cannot keep going about life, claiming Christianity, putting a Christian bumper sticker on our car as we're cutting everybody off (laughs) because we don't care about them. That's what that's communicating. When you drive reckless, it's because you don't care about people. You don't care what happens to them. You care about where you're going, what you're doing. I come first is what you're communicating. And yet we will still walk around with the name Christian, not taking into account how we treat people. How do you do when they get your order wrong at the restaurant? Does everybody have to pay? You need to get the waitress fired? I could go on for days with examples, but you guys get it. How do you do? Our last point, we said love does not retaliate. We said love repays evil with kindness. And the last point is this, love receives a reward. Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Earlier in the chapter, in verse 12, he says, Rejoice and be glad, after he listed Beatitudes. He says, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So he's saying, when you respond to evil with kindness, when you actually pray before you post, before you protest, before you argue, before you make things right. Like when you pray for those who persecute you, you are children of your father in heaven. And then he says, rejoice about it. Don't mope about it. Don't be mad at God and say, God, this isn't fair. God, you know know what I would do. You know what I would do if you would just let me. They lucky I'm saved. (laughs) That's the stuff we do to God. They lucky I'm a Christian. You're lucky you're a Christian. You're lucky you're saved. You get the benefit of being like the God who saved you, and you get the benefit of forgiving people because you've been forgiven. You get the benefit of giving somebody another chance because you've gotten one. And he says, rejoice and be glad. Remember that God is taking care of it all. Remember that you're not just in your own hands, that you can entrust yourself to God, that you can entrust yourself to the one who judges justly, that even though Christ endured the cross, he's not on that cross anymore. Even though Christ walked through death, he's not dead anymore. Christ rose up out of the grave because the father is faithful. He had a plan for him. He said, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And it's the same for you and me. When we follow Jesus, it's for the joy that's set before us that we suffer, that we go through wrongdoing, that we get mistreated, that we get stolen from, that we get lied on, and there's still joy ahead of me. There's still joy ahead of you. No matter if your reputation has been ruined, no matter if you've been done wrong, there's joy ahead of you. I need us to say it. There's joy ahead of me. And let's live like there is joy ahead of us. And I want to close here. Ephesians 6, verse 12 says this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against humans. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And I want us to stand for this. If you'll just stand across this building. Because he starts off this chapter saying, stand firm. And some of us have been standing against the wrong things. Some of us have been standing against the wrong people. Some of us have been viewing our enemies as humans of flesh and blood. And, and Jesus is ultimately saying that many of us, we will, take, we will wage war on people and the principalities and the powers and the demons. We don't even fight them. There are demonic attacks coming against some of you guys through people. And you are focused on people instead of praying. And I know that whether you're watching online, whether you're in here I know that you guys are going through some stuff because you're living life. You're navigating some things. And right now, we are in a a season of society where anxiety is high through the roof. Depression is up through the roof. Sadness. And uh, so much of it is coming from worry, fear, and disappointment. Feeling like things are not working out for me like they should. I'm not being taken care of. God is not looking out for me. And I want to tell you that God is looking out for you. God does care about you. God is working all things together. That's why we have the scriptures to tell us that God is working all things together for the good of those who who love him and are called according to his purposes. So God is working things out for you. And you and I, we need to pray like the church is supposed to pray. And we need to stop just arguing with people and debating people and focusing all of our energy on people. And we need to pray to disarm the devil. Some of you guys are having tension in your households and it's not the person, it's the demon. Some of you guys are feeling this wave of anxiousness, depression, all these things. And it ain't your circumstances, it's a spirit. And I'm telling you, what the word tells you and I. He says this. In 2 Corinthians 10:4, he says for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Do you know that you have weapons? You have weapons of your warfare. You are not just a passive bystander as the world walks over you. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying fight the real fight. Stop fighting people. Fight the devil. Take ground for the kingdom. You're already secured. There's nothing that the enemy can do to you. Jesus says this, don't fear man who can kill the body, fear the Lord who can kill the body and throw the soul into hell. What he's saying is man can't do anything to you if you're in God's hands. And we are all in God's hands. And so here's what I know. Many of us are dealing with real stuff. I mean, stuff that has happened and it's happened through people. Each and every one of us has been mistreated. We've been wrong. Things have happened to us that should never have happened to us. But what I want to remind us today is that God sees all and God judges justly. The Bible tells us that he stands ready to judge the living and the dead. He's just telling you not to take it into your own hands because there is one who is going to judge. The Bible tells us that each and every one of us will give an account to God. We will give an account for our lives. We will give an account for the things we've done in this body. And he's telling us what we need to do. And so you are accountable before God, but so is everybody else. So can we leave the judging to Jesus? Can we leave revenge to the God who says that he will repay? I want to pray for us before we go. Lord, I thank you so much for your truth. God, I thank you for your mercy. Lord, that is new every morning. And Lord, I just pray for a fresh outpouring of power over your people. God, power to do what you're calling us to do. Lord, power to be like Jesus. Power to respond, even in the most challenging circumstances, the way that you are calling us to respond. Lord, I pray for a church that does not retaliate, but instead entrusts ourselves to God. Lord, I pray for a people who are under the sound of my voice, Lord, I pray that these people would have a revelation in their spirit and could actually have the courage, the boldness, and the security in God to repay evil with kindness. And Lord, I just declare each, over each and every person that they will receive the reward. Lord, that great is the reward in heaven for each and every one of us who follows your commands. Lord, I pray that you would give us eternal insight even in our daily lives seemingly minute interactions. And God, I pray that you would rise up in our spirit. God, that you would lead us to pray in the way that we need to pray. Lord, I pray for the men in this place. God, Lord, that each and every man would lead his household, even if it's just him. God, I pray that each and every man in this place would lead his household in the way that you're calling us to lead. And we need the power of your spirit because our flesh gets weak, our flesh gets tired, our flesh gets tired of being tired. Our flesh gets exhausted, but the spirit Of God is strong in us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to lean on the spirit and not on the flesh, Lord. I pray for each and every lady in this household, God, to take the authority that you've called them to. God, I pray for strong women of God in this place, Lord, that they will not be passive, but they will be prayer warriors, God. I pray that they will be prayer warriors in their home, God, that they will be prayer warriors in their workplace, God, that they will not be gossiping and and just talking about offenses, Lord, but they will be praying for those who persecute them. God, that they will be seeking the salvation of even the people who are coming against them and seeking their harm. And God, I pray that this would all happen for your glory in Jesus' name. And before we go, I know inevitably, uh, maybe not as much as the 9 a.m. service, because I know a lot of you guys are here because you got up early because you love the Lord. But I know that inevitably there are some people in here who you may not have been right with Jesus before you came in here. And can I tell you that all of this may sound good, but this is only going to happen if you're connected to the vine, if you're connected to Jesus. You're only going to be able to live this way through the power of the Spirit that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And so if that's you in this place, before we go, if you're saying, I want to follow Jesus, I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to make a bold decision. And I'm going to live it out in front of people, so I'm going to lift my hand in front of people and before God. If that's you, if you're saying that you want to follow Jesus and you want to start a relationship with him today, I want you to lift your hand so that I can pray with you and that we can pray with you and so that we can connect with you afterwards as well. Is there anybody in here? Is this is the time. Now is the time. I see your hand. Now is the time. Can I tell you that this is not a somber time? I see your hand. This is not a somber time. This is not sad. This is reason to rejoice. Jesus is rejoicing because he sent you here today. He sent you here today, and he's moving on your heart. He's moving in your family. He's moving in your household. He's about to change things. He's changing the direction of your life. So we celebrate with you, and and we're going to pray with you, and I want you to pray this prayer with me if that's you and all the believers across the room. We're going to pray this prayer from the heart to God. Say, Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the forgiveness of my sins because he took on human flesh and he died for my sins. I thank you that you raised him from the dead, and that Jesus is alive, seated at your right hand, able to forgive me, able to make me new, able to change me, and so Jesus, I give my life to you. I turn from my old ways, I repent for my sins, and I embrace your way. I will follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus name. Amen. Can we celebrate? Can we celebrate? Is anybody grateful that God is good? That God is still saving? That God is still on your side? Well, amen. Love you guys and we thank you very much.